Welcome to episode uh, 98. You know, it's probably going to be 81 because uh, I will probably edit this immediately because we're talking about a new movie. This is a big. Well, yes, this is all we're talking about today. Um, no BFI bullshit this week. It's nothing. Uh, but, uh, Daddy Denis. <laughs> Daddy Denis. A few a few quick notes uh, before we get started about some other things that we've watched. I did see a movie and I'm going to hold off on my thoughts because I'm going to wait for Jacob to see it. And that movie, of course, is uh, the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch which all I will say is that it is very, very good and you should watch it. Won't say any more. Wait for the discussion, which we'll have in the next week or two. Uh, and the only other movie I'd like to bring up that I saw is one that I'm going to formally require that Jacob watches. Because I know we're both big fans of, uh, of Hubie of one... Halloween. <laughs> yeah, no, I did watch Hubie Halloween, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, we're both fans of Burt Lancaster. Uh, and he's in this very odd movie called The Swimmer that was just uploaded uh, to the Criterion channel. I watched it the other day and I won't say anything except that Jacob should really watch it because it is very interesting. I sent you like one 15 second clip of Burt Lancaster and a horse. <laughs> I had no idea what to make of that that clip. Like it, <laughs> it, it wasn't at all what I was expecting and that it was great because Burt Lancaster was running through the plains with the horses. Yeah. Have you seen that, uh, hair. that that Mr. Incredible meme where it's like it's like two panels. Uh, one, he has the normal face and two, he has the black yes. and white distorted face. That was me watching that movie. First scene, last scene. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> OK, that well, he does do swimming. Hmm. <laughs> yes, I, I recommend I like it. swimming. There's a there's a lot of swimming in this. A lot of swimming, a lot of swimming, a lot of shirtless Burt Lancaster. It's good. What a are you of, getting? Oh. But yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's all I got. I watch okay. the movies. They don't matter. Uh, speaking of new movies, I watched Last Night in Soho, which is Edgar Wright's new movie. Oh, no, um, I, I didn't care for it. It's a fairly technically competent film, as one would expect from Edgar Wright, because he is a good filmmaker. Um, it is just uh, the first half is is quite engaging. It has a really good setup, really good premise and all that. I just found the last half annoying. Uh, a bit uh, one note and excessive in its tone and it um it's going for a a, uh, a very admirable theme uh which it fucks up in the final <laughs> few minutes and, oh, and no. makes it sort of a unbased movie and that in and of itself is not necessarily an issue because i'm not uh, i'm not necessarily advocating for judging a film on uh what it's advocating for more so how it advocates or, or how it presents the theme. That's the, the important thing. If it, the filmmaking is there, um, but the filmmaking at the end wasn't there. And the, uh, the kind of the twist that kind of puts a, a wrench in the whole thing just doesn't, isn't doing it any favors. The, the whole thematic layer is kind Damn. of, ugh. it's We're fine. witnessing it's, it's, the, the downward trajectory. Of a, of a great filmmaker. Hopefully not. It, it does look really nice. And, you know, I'm not sure I would. Um, I, I might recommend seeing it. Like if you're interested, uh, give it a shot. It's been pretty po polarizing. So there's a good shot. You might like it. And I think there is a good chance that you uh, people would find it interesting and engaging. Just um, uh, I don't think it's particularly. On the whole, all that yeah. well. Yeah. I I will see it because I'm an Edgar Wright fan, but I, I honestly ever since I heard the concept, I've not been looking forward to this. Um, 
So I mean, we'll see. Yeah, was, uh, ironically enough, the concept was interesting enough. It just kind of just yeah. doesn't go anywhere interesting. I, yeah. I was surprised at how in, in invested I was in the beginning of the film. But now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this on you because I thought about this today uh so two years okay one thing i know about edgar wright is that he's good fan friends with uh, uh, a mr quentin tarantino and about two years ago quentin tarantino released once upon a time in hollywood which obviously uh a lot of, i feel like a lot of filmmakers i listen to a lot of like a director podcast and a lot of them that saw the movie were gushing over you know just the attention to detail and recreating that uh, time and place and i know that both edgar wright and paul thomas anderson are good friends of tarantino so part of me thought, OK, they both saw this movie. They both wanted to do their own thing. Edgar Wright doing Last Night in Soho and Paul Thomas Anderson doing Licorice Pizza. Now I'm curious because it looks like one of them nailed it and the other one did not So but I haven't seen either movie. So I'll re- I'll report back with my findings in approximately a month and a half. Please, please do. Uh, I recently rewatched The Green Knight, which I also just published the the R split take review. Uh, i'll put <laughs> nice. something somewhere on the screen right there uh there 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 right no uh, we don't do can... annotations anymore there uh, you can go you can go watch that uh or not stick around hear our dune review um i was kind of cringing as i was editing our, our green knight review because i recently bought the 4k blu-ray and i rewatched it and um i was very lukewarm when we originally Talked about the Green Knight. Surprisingly and, so. Yeah. And I'm going to eat almost every single word or <laughs> sentence that I said in that review. So um, I think those were well thought out thoughts on the film. So I don't <laughs> think that they're invalid necessarily. I just. Um, I wouldn't necessarily. I don't have any of those thoughts anymore about the movie. It's it's great. It is probably my favorite movie of the year so far. But we'll see because there's st- stiff competition. Uh, yeah. Stiff. It's a very good movie. And the year isn't even over yet. Still have a Wes Anderson, a Paul Thomas Anderson, a uh, Kenneth Branagh film left to watch. <laughs> uh, it is playing. You got No, gonna... hey, we got we got the two Andersons. We got the Branagh. We got a Murakami adaptation. Oh, that's right. Oh, we got. Uh, oh, it's good year. I think that's it. That's all I can. Oh, uh, that's it. Green Knight. We have the I, Resident I, Evil movie. Oh, Jesus Christ, I saw that I'm trailer. That. I'm seeing that. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, at least someone is. It's not my it's not my demographic, so it's not mine either, but I'm still seeing it. Well, hey, but you yes, played Green the game. Knight. That's true. I'm, I've never I've never played. That's true. You've seen my first ex- you've ha- No, you have played the game technically. Did you not do the little puzzle during the live stream? I don't. No, maybe did I ever somebody. actually pick up the controller to do it? I think I was mostly just. Yeah, maybe. Either way, that that, that was my first and only exposure to the Resident Resident Evil games. Our twenty four hour live stream and watching you play play the game. Point is, Green Knight is a good movie. Great movie, love it. It's so good. Which also reminds me, you saw another medieval movie that I've yet to see. What did I watch? The Last I, Duel. Oh, oh yes. I wasn't going to bring that up. The Last Duel is pretty good. Uh, oh, enjoyable. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I, I have nothing okay. more to say about it for now. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. I exhausted the conversation on that uh, a while back. It's one of those movies where I watched it. I liked it. And then now it's done. I'm not sure I'm going to be thinking too much about it in the future. That's not necessarily a uh, 
a hit against the quality of the film. It's just, it's great. Oh, we went go. there, back again, and now moving on. We'll see how it compares to House of Gucci. <laughs> wow, we are getting a lot of uh, Ridley Scott as of late. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of things that are victim of expectations, uh, I have watched the movie we're discussing today three times uh, to make sure that a, a Green Knight type situation does not occur. Uh, okay. I wanted, to, I wanted to vouch safe. That Dune was not a, um, uh, as as you know, if you've been following the podcast or if not, uh, I often misread movies on my first viewing. Uh, notorious for hating things on the first viewing and then uh, warming up to them uh, a lot more on the on the second viewing, which is why I refuse to watch Taxi Driver again. <laughs> That's anyway, so. Uh, Dune was a movie I wanted to give the proper time and effort to. So this is what it's been out for two, three weeks now, three or four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's been some time and I've seen it three times now. First time in IMAX, second time at home on the TV here. And then the third time was just in regular movie theater experience, not IMAX or anything special. Regular 1080p. Regular three, 360p. Uh, VHS. I mean, I can hook speakers. up v- the VHS players hooked up to that TV. I I can pop them really? in. Denny, hey Denny, uh, <laughs> make it make a make a VHS copy of a Dune twenty twenty one. That's what the world needs. I just now realized that you have a Blade Runner twenty forty nine poster. Also, uh, keep talking one second. Yeah, so I, I was going to make mention of that because it's actually been um, Empire Strikes Back is the poster there. Although the Blade Runner 2049 poster has been hiding behind that for some time. And I, I've switched back and forth between the two of them. And, you know, it's uh, it's a Denis day. So that, I pulled out the uh, Empire Strikes Back poster. It's there now. And uh, so uh, Blade Runner 2049. So speaking of that, I feel like we need to have like layers like it's a Rus- Russian nesting doll of a film. You have to unpack a lot of behind the scenes and stuff. This is a movie with a lot of baggage to it. Yes. And that's that's the thing. That's the thing. It's got baggage in uh, both in in the Hollywood sense, as it is a movie that has been tried to adapt a few times. It's uh, a book that is notoriously hard to film or has been claimed to be hard to film and is a a very widely regarded book. It is. uh, Denis Villeneuve, I feel like there's a whole conversation about how his career has progressed to Dune itself. Uh, you could also uh, just come at it from a completely uh, normie perspective as, as just ignoring all forms of context and just looking at the movie itself. Um, and of course, there's the the context of the fact that the film was delayed. We were originally going to get it quite sooner, but it, it has been pushed back yeah, a few times. I- I, I went back and watched the trailers uh, and I forgot that first one came out summer of 2020. Yeah, we had when was it originally scheduled winter 2020 or yes, it must have been fall of 20 summer, something like that. Mm. It might have been a summer hit, but yeah, interesting. It's just one of those movies that's been so close, but so far for so long. Now it's finally here and I'll say like, you know, when I when I finally sat down to watch it, the whole time the trailers were playing, I was just thinking to myself, I'm finally here. I'm here. Denis Villeneuve's Dune is about to play. 
little surreal experience. It, it was definitely a surreal experience. And for me, a similar, though, though different kind of feeling um, to when I saw The Force Awakens in a theater as something that I had been waiting for for a very long time, finally sitting in a movie theater and being able to watch it. And, you know, but Star Wars was more of like it was a, a core, core memory, a, a nostalgic key, nostalgic piece. So that was the, the primary feeling behind Star Wars. Dune was more of a, um, I just want to say like a, a intellectual uh, culmination of like it's a book I've really loved for a while. It's nothing that I've been like so invested in that it's, it's an, it conjures feelings of nostalgia, but it is something that I've been just invested in for a while and finally yeah. being able to see a adaptation that had the chance of being competent was <laughs> a thrilling prospect and then after it got delayed and everything and i almost think the anticipation made the experience so much better yeah well yeah again to get a little into the backstory here is that i feel like the only comparable thing to dune is of course lord of the rings which was thought to be equally as unfilmable. Um, I feel like there's a lot of parallels. One, we have the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, which in a lot of ways is similar to the David Lynch Dune in that it mm. is very out there, but not necessarily all there film-wise. Um, and then we have, <laughs> similar to Hodorowski's uh, attempt at Dune, the, the movie that never was, we have the Stanley Kubrick Lord of the Rings with the Beatles. <laughs> and and then, of course, with Dune, we also have um, we have the sci fi miniseries adaptation. Don't really have a, an equivalent for that for Lord of the Rings, but I feel like Dune is well, just we're going to have Amazon adapting uh, the Silmarillion true, and all that soon. True. So. Yeah. So we will one to one. But yeah, Dune is just one of those books that is so. I understand why people think it's unfilmable because it's a lot of internal monologues, stuff like that. A lot of pontification on events that are supposed to happen. And it's not necessarily action driven. There's a lot of lore, a lot of exposition, not necessarily strong characterization. But um, the, the, the best way I can describe Dune, and I thought about this a lot when I was watching the movie is imagine if the star Wars prequels were good <laughs> in, in, in a way that would be Dune. Yes. Cause there's a lot of space politics, a lot of stiffer characterization, stuff like that. I, I generally, I tend to reject the idea of an unfilmable book and it's not necessarily because, uh, the book is unfilmable, uh, but because it is just a hard, it is a harder task to do. Some things lend themselves yeah. to adaptation more than others, uh, but everything has the the opportunity to do so. And given that there are uh, wild art house films um, about everything under the sun, that the expression and the ability to to say things with film is so it's been explored. There there are things um, that it, we, we've proven. Lots of different stories can be told with film. And it's just a matter of who is the right person to tell that story. And the issue with some, some things are easy to adapt because they, they might speak to a lot of different people. 
a lot of different filmmakers and those filmmakers can easily translate those things into a, a visual medium. Um, likewise, things that are hard to adapt are things that have so much to work with that it takes a really uh, dedicated individual to make it work. And often with Hollywood, the people who are dedicated and who love the material are not always the ones who get the project and who get to direct and adapt a thing. Um, and just because you love a thing doesn't necessarily mean either that you are qualified to adapt it. it. It could actually be a hindrance. So it's really about you have to find the right person who knows, who has a very strong, solid vision of how to adapt it. Um, and with something like Dune, you have to be able to, you have to take stuff out um, and you have to be intimately aware of the narrative as a whole of what Frank Herbert was going for. And if you are, then it, it you can take stuff out and do things that make sense. And that's the issue with the David Lynch Dune um, is that it is, um, it's a different, it's a different, it's telling a different story than Dune itself. Um, and even though it is following it, it's, it's, it like, it's, it has like a, um, attention to it where David Lynch wants to put his creative spin on things and that's fine. Uh, but at the same time, there is a fidelity to the novel. And so those two things are kind of ripping the film apart and the, where no, there's no clear authorial voice coming through yeah. on that film. And I'm tell not, he's not necessarily a big fan of the book. Yeah. And it's the other thing with uh, Yodorowsky's Dune, where Yodorowsky was almost. He likes it too. The much. book, the book was irrelevant <laughs> to Yodorowsky. <laughs> it was it, it, it had some interesting ideas and he someone told him, oh, people are getting high to to navigate through space and people are telling the future. And he's like, great. I love that. I will make meditative film about uh giving the audience a lsd experience in the theater and then he changes the ending completely and like i'm fine with changing books it's but they're you know the tension and the ability to tell a story um yeah you can find yourself at odds with the the narrative you're trying to adapt if you try to put something else on top of that narrative without making the subsequent important decisions the ripple effects that need to change within that adaptation. See, I have not seen Hodorowski's Dune, but every clip I've seen from it, as entertaining as it is to think of all these, when you when you picture the movie in your head, I just I'm, I'm left thinking this would be awful. It would it would not work. I don't think it would work. I think it'd be a a fantastic like interesting art piece. Like you go into a an art museum and you go into a dark room. And there's oh the Yodorowsky's Dune is playing, and you don't you're not necessarily there to watch the movie. You're just there to experience the this art piece that has been created. And that's that's what it's it like, feels like. It feel like it would have been like sci-fi Heaven's Gate, something like that. Yeah. And the thing with Dune is that I think it does lend itself to the the miniseries format, um, and I haven't seen the sci-fi miniseries, but everyone. Uh, who I've listened to or have told me about it has said that it is fairly accurate, an accurate adaptation as, as much as an adaptation can be. Uh, but it, the quality isn't necessarily all there with the, the visual. I'm sure the, the budget is but that's, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, I don't 
care. That's fine. But it's <laughs> Dune is a book that its reputation precedes it, perhaps uh, as much as any book does. And that's that's a blessing and a curse, given that your audience, you have a built in audience who wants to watch the movie. And I, I, I think a, a Dune adaptation was uh, a good bet on Warner, Warner Bros. part for that reason. Um, but also the the weight of expectations to bring it all the way back to there of all the fans and all the people who know about it and doing justice to that novel. And I think a, a longer running time is needed for Dune. And ironically yeah. enough, I think you could do. I think there is someone out there who has the the correct puzzle, jigsaw puzzle in their mind to create a contained two hour Dune movie. This person will of never be able to book? make. Yeah, this person will never okay. be able to make the, the likelihood that this person will ever be connected with Hollywood and the right people to get that made is is zero. But I'm a generally generally an optimist that someone out there has it in them to tell that story. Yeah, but it's, it's Steven so, Soderbergh's Dune. That's the, that's the thing, like just because there's there's famous directors and they're good at directing doesn't mean that yeah. they're good at directing a adaptation. And one of the things that's good about this is. Unlike David Lynch and unlike Jodorowsky, uh, Denis Villeneuve has been a longtime fan of Dune. And I'm not sure we could have asked for a better high profile director to have worked on this project. I mean, yeah, it's just going off of Blade Runner alone. I mean, that's sort of similar. Big scale sci fi that you really to make. To make Blade Runner 2049 as well as it did, you you need somebody who is intimately familiar with the source material and is able to expand on it without rehashing it. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good indicator early on that he'd be able to do this at least semi well. Um, but also he just that's sort of I think his best movies are in that genre. The only two Denis Villeneuve movies I really like are Arrival and. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I hate to do this, but we're going to just keep going on tangents and we'll eventually get to the review itself. I'll probably put a, <laughs> a, a link or a note somewhere in here. Two episodes. To when we actually talk about Dune itself. But Denis Villeneuve is such an interesting director, and I really do recommend you watch other things he's made. Have you seen yeah. Enemy? I've not seen Enemy or Prisoners. Those are two good ones. Uh, I highly recommend Incendies. Uh, oh, yeah, you've been recommending that for somewhere. a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very, it's a heavy film. I think it's it's a really good one. It is also, I feel like his style awesome. as a filmmaker has evolved over the years. And I think in Incendies is the the culmination from what I've seen. I haven't seen everything, especially I have a, a gap in the early years of, of Villeneuve, but it seems like the a good culmination of his earlier work. It's much more kind of gritty, a, a more realistic down to earth, not kind of these uh, these sequences with a lot of bravura and cinematic nature. It's more kind of um, more more what you would expect from a uh, art, an arts, not an art house director, but a, a, a competent, small, independent filmmaker. and. From there, you have this interesting buildup with enemy, prisoners, Sicario, not necessarily in this order, but then you get to Arrival, 2049, and Dune, and you can definitely see how his, his style has 
kind of veered into this this more um, modernist, uh, very cinematic, very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't know, but you know, <laughs> he's one of those directors who kind of made a turn in his career from the beginning to the end, and I think there's a lot of like thematic stuff. Uh, as an undercurrent throughout his whole career. I think he does like to deal with a lot of um, societal uh, people within societies and how that affects them um, and their stories. And it's often, his movies often feature individuals trying to make their voices heard within a system and a society that is uh, oppressive or is um, very loud or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's fairly consistent thematically. His his films make there's a through line, but his style has gotten a lot more has changed. Big, over the years. yeah, bigger, very big, that's very just big. What I think of that's what I think of when I think of Denis now. And I, you know, I the guy who directed Incendies that wasn't too long ago. I was I think that was that was in 2010. Yeah. yeah, and he, you know, if I had seen that movie back in 2010, it would not have been. Necessarily a movie I would have watched back then, um, but if I'd seen that and someone said, "Oh, this guy's going to do a Dune adaptation," I'd be like, what? <laughs> like a Dune adaptation on the scale of Lawrence of Arabia from this guy? I don't see it. Which fun fact? They shot in the same desert. They shot Lawrence of Arabia. I did Wadi Rum in Jordan. Yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great little uh, uh, interview with uh, Denis Villeneuve and uh, Christopher Nolan. That I recommend everyone listen to. It's fun. It's fun little time. Oh, that's right. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan was a big fan. Liked this this movie quite a bit. I remember. I didn't listen to that, but I remember hearing him talk about it in a different context. Another fun fact. Uh, this is a tangent. Another fun fact about Christopher Nolan is that he's seen the original Blade Runner over 100 times, but he prefers the theatrical version. Which is ironic because that's the version that it uh, treats you like an idiot and over explains things. So that may be the basis of his whole oeuvre. What? What? I would describe Nolan's oeuvre as the opposite of that. It's no. not explaining anything. What? Nolan loves exposition. He loves the last time you've seen he Inse okay. Inception. He loves exposition, but he's he's not. One, I don't think you could levy the criticism that he over-explains things. Sometimes. And I'm just talking about like, I, like when head, you get to the end of a movie, like some scenes, yeah. you're like, oh man, this is a lot of exposition. But especially like Inception or Tenant. Like, yes, there's a lot of exposition, but you, you don't necessarily understand anything better just because you're listening to exposition. Well, that's the thing is that, uh, that again, this is just becoming a Nolan rant. Yeah. But those two movies in particular... I feel as much as I like those two movies, uh, that a majority of the movie is uh, reserved for explaining how the movie you're watching is working. Hmm. And in Inception, it's I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I see, I see is, your point. I see your point. Yes. I, I, I perhaps acquiesce just a tiny bit to, to that. Point is, Christopher, that's cringe. Watch the final cut. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of exposition, um, this is, of course, a movie that yeah, I highly recommend go take a look at our, our uh, Dune 84, 1984 review. We had a lot the of fun. The better with that. one. Yeah. <laughs> it, from a certain point of view, it is a more fun movie to watch. But, well, yeah. 
that depends on what you're looking for to get. Are, are you ready to the rant on the clickbait article you read today? No. Are we going to include no, I that interview? Okay. Okay. No, well, that's just go. that's just dumb internet dumbness. Dumb internet dumbness that he spent about 15 minutes debunking. <laughs> uh, it was more so he debunked. <laughs> I, I he, deb- he debunked work. subjective uh, journalism. Uh, no, no, they were they were saying things that was objectively wrong, and I don't mean that as like a joke. Some of it was uh, so, yeah, subjective, yeah. but other things were like, "What did we watch the same movie?" Like you're just reading movies wrong. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the problem with the 1984 movie is that it is fitting too much exposition into too short of a time. And uh, in some of the worst ways possible. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of problems, but that's that's one of the main ones. And it doesn't have the um, uh, the guts, the chutzpah to take out things to edit down the book, um, which is needed. Unless you are, of course, Yodorowsky and you're doing a 10 hour long epic with Orson Welles as the Baron, then you don't need to edit anything out. Uh, That's the only that's the only situation. Um, but Dune, here's, here's my lovely copy. Chandler has stolen my other copy. I, of, <laughs> I have, I have, which is, which, a, that is a lovely copy though. I th- like this is that a, a yes, lovely copy. It has blue pages. It's kind of cool. Let me, let uh, me see what the, this, the, the pages look like. Pages aren't actually blue, but that's okay. Interesting. I might, they, I might pick up my own copy. This is, this is a good copy. I, I quite like it, but like, like, uh, Laura, I was gonna say Lawrence Arabia, not Lawrence Arabia, Lord of the Rings. Uh, this Paul has Arrakis. Paul Arrakis. It has appendices and it has a oh. uh, glossary uh, terminology of the Imperium. It's called. So what fun translating into a film? You can imagine the difficulty and the difficulty is just knowing. Uh, what you want to focus on, what's important, and the important things are the characters, not the terms. And with that note in mind, I suppose we can get into the. It, wait, the actual... Insert insert uh, a video of little girl in Dune eighty four saying he is the <laughs> what is it again? The Quizats Hatterack. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Insert it right here. <laughs> My favorite moment from that film, uh, a film that has a lot of, uh, a lot of I don't know. A plus. Just now that I've now that a plus dialogue. Now that I've seen the new Dune, I feel like the my next viewing of uh da- david lynch's dune is going to be even better even more fun <laughs> but it's also something like as much as i'm i'm in a dune mood now i know i can't return to david lynch's dune i want to let let it kind of sit and then maybe maybe a movie night we'll maybe get nick to watch it that'd be so yeah that would be great i'd watch it again I'd anyway it so again. uh denis villeneuve has made a dune adaptation it is. Do you want to give a summary of the book or of the movie? OK, yeah, I'll, I'll give my best. So uh, Dune is the story of, uh, well, a galactic federation of various uh, houses that rule different planets of the galaxy. You have House Atreides, which is comprised of Duke Leto, who is the king or the top ruler, his wife, Jessica, and their son, Paul. They are sent by the Galactic Emperor to uh, take over the spice farming operation on the planet Arrakis, formerly uh, ran by another house called the Harkonnens. Uh, on this planet, they uh, farm the spice melange, which is a 
is a, a resource exclusive to Arrakis that is necessary for things like space travel and uh, I guess just human uh, modification. It's a very it's the most important resource in the galaxy. Yes, it's a metaphor um, for oil. Yes, I guess that's all I'll say, because if I feel like if I explain more, it just spoils it. That's the basic premise. And the book covers no, the movie covers roughly half of the book. It yeah, is actually slightly more than half of the book. I counted the pages last night. <laughs> it's 305, 350 pages versus 300 pages for the second half. So, yeah. OK, yeah, so, make, yeah, roughly, roughly make a good. Good effort into the book. So this is, of course, a part one of part two of two parts. And they very much say that in the beginning. Dune yes. part one is in the yes. title card. Although when bold. it was uh, when they put that there, they were not sure that they were they did not have the green light. They didn't have the permission or whatever from uh, Warner Bros that they were going to be able to do that second part. And obviously, with the benefit of waiting a little longer to do our review, we can happily say that we do. We are going to get a Dune part two. And I am very much looking forward to that because uh, my opinion on Dune, it's a great movie. And this is finally the adaptation we deserved. <laughs> I have some reservations about the movie. It is not perfect, as do I as do but I. I think it is. I it is. I, I've struggled to kind of. Set aside what I want from the film versus uh, and my expectations coming from the book versus what um, Dennis has chosen <laughs> to focus on, because there are some characters who have been um, moved to the periphery and some have been moved forward in in a more kind of um foregrounded role and just because you get more of a certain character in a book doesn't necessarily mean that you need to do so in the movie if that makes sense and so i've spent yeah some time thinking about you know trying to kind of separate what i want versus from the movie and all that and, and also just kind of get rid of my expectations so that you know when i went to the theater yesterday i could just watch the movie without having mm -hmm. the baggage of, you know, my first viewing, whatever, whatever was I was bringing along with that. So. But overall, it's a really great experience, and yes. I think it's best we could have hoped for. Here's here's what I want to know is that I, I feel similarly to this, as I imagine people maybe who saw the first again, not to bring up the comparison again, but the people who saw the first the Fellowship of the Ring for the first time. Uh, part of me feels because a lot of the issues that I have appear, as far as I know, to be resolved in scenes that were cut. So part of me is thinking that maybe it's hard to really judge this movie on its own terms for a lot of reasons. One, because it's half of a story. Uh, two, because there's obviously a lot of expectations going in that might have affected the whole thing. Part of me feels like this movie might go into the S tier. Uh, if they ever decide to release um, an extended version that maybe has a lot of those scenes that I personally would have liked to see in it uh, upon the release of the second movie or whatever. Um, but I feel like as far as the, the pure theatrical experience goes, I was amazed at how well they handled what I previously thought were some of the more unfilmable things. We very happily made fun of the 84 film for overuse of terms like weirded way uh gom, <laughs> gom jabber the quizat uh, hatterack uh, 
the and sh- what what is the name the name for the god worm or the the king worm schwa something shy hulu they say it once shy hulu they say it once and there was there was no effort being made in the the david lynch one to um really pronounce pronounce those things uh in ways that gave them some some weight to them i was very happy to see uh no one pronounced it gom jabber the uh <laughs> the reverend mother didn't say that because that is of course just an inherently funny thing to say it uh, is she instead pronounced it i hold at your neck the gom jabber you know i felt that, that you know no there was some good there was effort within the pronunciation department and i think that that took care of half of it and then of course the the handling of the exposition took care of the other half of a lot of the terms were just kind of uh moved to the background or not used at all like weirding way it was used once maybe twice at the end yeah i remember javier bardem said it he didn't even say weirding way he said something along the lines of uh you're a weirding woman or something like that. Yes. And something about the way Javier Bardem uh, says that word. Just him, his accent. Well, it's him. It's yes, fine. It's I pardon funny. him. That word is yes. fine now. Yes. He can say it. And, uh, not, he I has not a lot laugh. of gravitas to say it. Um, I will say this too. Uh, just I, I, I don't know what your experience was when you saw it. Uh, I saw it with a few friends, Sanju being one of them. And not a single person that I saw it with has read the book or seen the original movie. So one one way, one method I used to gauge how effective an adaptation was, was after the movie, I wanted to see how well they kept up with the story. Did they understand everything? I asked them various questions about uh, character motivation, stuff like that. And I'm happy to say that they understood it completely. They they knew the 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 galactic uh, dynamics. They understood the importance of spice. They understood the 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 prophetical side of the story. As far as I can see it, to the average person who's uh, completely unfamiliar with Dune, he did a great job at uh, packing the exposition in a way that didn't feel like exposition. They understood everything. Yes, and that was it. Was a really interesting first experience on on my end. Um, because I went with two friends, uh, one of which had read the book before and was familiar. The other, uh, he was not familiar at all. And so I got the, afterwards, we spent quite some time in the dark parking lot of the movie theater uh, discussing <laughs> Dune and just the the varying reactions, because I think we had a good, um, I have read Dune for a very long time. I've The book has been with me for some time. Uh, my friend who had read it, read it relatively recently. And then the other one, obviously no, no experience whatsoever. And the other thing that um, I did was I've gone on YouTube and seen some people uh, just kind of skipped through people reacting to the movie, watching it on their home computers and, you know, film HBO. reactors. Uh, a little cringe, but I'm, you know, it's fine. I'm glad for science. I'm glad I have those people <laughs> there. And, you know, quite frankly, uh i almost want to say the the people who have no experience with dune whatsoever and this was my experience as well they almost get it more (laughs) than because i've seen a lot of people who are very familiar with the books they're like well it doesn't explain this and it doesn't explain this and people are going to be lost i'm like no they're not lost they get it you you are projecting your own um thoughts and greater understanding of something that has been pared down i think quite successfully and that's one of the things that I've um, 
I, I got that feeling upon the first viewing, but I wanted to really kind of figure that out and, and see how it worked. And it really does. It really does handle the exposition well. And that's the thing. Like the other thing is like you said, like they understand everything. And I don't think you need to understand everything in order for a film to work. And I don't, yeah. I think the, the, this adaptation leaves a lot left to be understood, but in a way that gets you more interested and doesn't leave anything on the cutting room that was critical to following the plot, but does leave a lot yes. that, you know, you can read the book and figure out a lot more, but not necessary for the film's success. Yeah, the the, the book won't change your movie experience. It will only enhance it, which I, I feel is a good uh, metric to, uh, to measure an adaptation's quality. Um, but yeah, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, I feel like the only thing it, it, it has everything that I would have wanted. And my only, I guess, complaints is that me, you know, just being a little more familiar, wanting more in certain areas. But mm -hmm. I can't say what we got was not enough. Um, maybe again, maybe it's just because we're familiar with uh, the book, you more so than me, but and I am familiar more... with the David Lynch adaptation, yeah. <laughs> which yes. I think sets up yes. uh, an expectation for the Baron that is gone in a, in a rather different direction in this movie. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, that's like my main thing. I really wish there was more Baron because I think Stellan Skarsgård absolutely killed it. He was he was menacing. And OK. This is another way that I use to measure it, um, because the Baron, not just the, the David Lynch Baron, but the Baron in general, if you look at a bunch of like fan adaptations, illustrations, the Baron on paper is silly. <laughs> There's a lot about the Baron that is kind of silly. One of the silliest shots in, in Denis film, which is a film that takes itself so very seriously that even the, the things that are kind of silly, you... Uh, it's so serious that like the the atmosphere powers through those things. But there's one moment that I found very silly and it's a shot. It's a the profile yeah. shot of the Baron as he approaches. Oh, oh I was different. thinking about something different. OK, okay. but uh, uh, in the, the scene. Uh, I'm not going to spoilers. No, I'm not going to spoil. It's not going to be a spoiler. Okay. The Baron is well, floating. Is the yes. Baron is floating and he's floating towards someone and you finally get a profile. So you get to see the curvature of his fat uh, and he's floating. So it's just a, a fat man that's floating and he looks like he's going to bonk into someone. It's doesn't cuts, but it's yeah. that's that's the time where it's like, this is a silly man right here. Well, it's funny because I was talking to one of my coworkers who had just seen the movie and another side note. It's just again, just just because we've been waiting for this for a while. Um, it's very surreal to be in a in a place now where I can get on Twitter and see Duncan Idaho memes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you the, can also get on has... the the Film Sync YouTube channel and see <laughs> Duncan Idaho memes. I have more in the works. Thank you very much. Like if I'm just amazed at how this movie has taken off, but we'll get into that later. But uh, one of my coworkers who had seen the movie, unfamiliar with Dune or anything, watched it solely because I had raved about it. Um, and he was talking about how like terrified he he thought the Baron was. He thought the Baron was very, very scary. And I thought, oh, man, <laughs> you could only see. <laughs> uh, but I do think, God, that the, a great line. I've, I've seen it memed and quoted a bunch of times. But uh, when um, after he promises the Benjamin Jesuit woman 
that he would not harm them. There's a great little uh, thing that's used in the trailers where he says, my my Arrakis, my desert, my dune as he as he floats up. What are, do you have a meme? Is this what you're about to show? OK, let's no, no, see. I don't have a meme. I have an idea for one. So, oh, I'm you saying. do. OK, yeah. OK, OK. Point is, there's a lot of great characters. I think that the casting, they nailed just about everyone. And my only complaint is I wish I had more, but I understand why we did it, because it would be like a four hour. movie. Like I wanted more uh, Thafir, Thuffer. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Thufir Hawatat. Hawat. Thufir Hawat. I wanted more of Thufir. I wanted more Stilgar. I wanted more. Um... And I think the Stilgarth question will be. Well, yeah, that's answered. Part two. What? And that was that I was one of the dumb things, like the objectively stupid observations the article made uh whereas like the the 1984 dune had more fremen in it like well yes because it adapted the second half of the book where all the fremen is, are at yeah yeah like it, what kind of <laughs> what kind of comment is that and i mean come on let's again it'd be, it'd be like saying the, the, the ralph bakshi lord of the rings has more better animation in it thanks thanks for the observation can i just say the fremen um, we only get a little bit of the Fremen. I th- I thought the uh, Javier Bardem scene, his first scene of Stilgar was amazing. A fun little No Country for Old Men reunion. <laughs> uh, that was something that made me laugh because Javier Bardem comes in and the first thing that Josh Brolin says is, I don't like him. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I love that there's a little, there's a great, the, the other thing that's really nice about watching this is that it is a movie that rewards uh, paying attention to it and further viewing with details because there is um, a lot of condensing of details in the background and other places um, and it's not just in the world building it's in the acting too that i've noticed that in that scene in particular um, duncan idaho is obviously on board with the spitting thing he's been accustomed to that culture uh, the duke gets on board pretty quickly because he realizes it's, it's in his best interest um, but josh brolin just gives this little hint of disapproval after you know the the other two the duke spits and then we cut to josh brolin he's like oh good <laughs> why can't i remember his name gurney gurney halleck gurney gurney halleck yep uh, mild spoiler I mean, mild spoiler because i have to talk about the, the moment that i thought was just hilarious maybe unintentionally so um so again uh f- go f- skip 45 seconds ahead to avoid this spoiler but in the scene uh where the duke attempts to assassinate baron with the tooth filled poison gas um there's a scene afterwards because in the book what happens is as soon as he hears the crunch the baron gets the fuck out of there he escapes death narrowly um but in this they change it for the better i think um where the soldiers arrive after the aftermath and they come in, they see all the corpses and they look up at the ceiling and the Baron is just fly. It's just on the corner of the ceiling looking down at him. I laughed so hard. Um, it, the rest of the theater thought it was intimidating I, or scary. I think but you I could admit that, was... that that's not necessarily a funny moment. It is no, a moment just, you found I find funny. It funny. I just find it funny. Right. Because unfortunately, the, David Lynch's Dune has done irreparable harm um, on me where I will never not find the Baron funny. <laughs> yes yes and that's that's one of the things with the baron in i think this film does a really great job of of creating a mystique and particularly with 
the way they've they've edited his voice and it has like a lot of bass and reverb to it and he's just a very menacing figure despite you don't see very much of him um, no. however i would like i think the film would have benefited from slightly more i hate to use this word with with his character humanization of the baron in that you have a um and humanization is probably maybe not the right word characterization um you have uh raban the his nephew who is in charge of arrakis and he is just in the book a, kind of a mindless killing machine kind of a simpleton it just kind of rules with an iron fist and that's his character and he is not really in much of the book nor is he in much of the of the movie and yeah. i think that the the amount of characterization and the amount of um little details within a character um needs to be in proportion to how how much of an effect on the plot someone has and how much screen time they have and i think the do the baron out of almost anyone in the in the movie has the most uh effect on the plot of what happens to paul and we get essentially some really good scenes with him and i think there was plenty of screen time that they could have given made him something more than just oh i just want to kill the atreides but why or i want all the spice but why something some other some other question needed to be answered or, or explored um to give that character more than just your typical horrifying totally evil bad guy see for me i i i, I kind of i understand that yeah. and I it can agree. be that yeah, but there's some something else. I don't know. It for me it works because the Baron to me just feels like pure greed, pure embodiment of greed, and I think that's a great little touch that they did where the the Duke wakes up and he's just fucking eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some really good stuff, table. and and all of my yeah. comments are stuff that I wished was just a little, little more, not necessarily something that is completely lacking. Yeah. And that's that's a particular case where um, in the book, I uh, actually started reading it a couple months ago, got about 100 pages in, stopped because I'm terrible at reading. And then the past couple of days, I've been reading a chapter a day, which has been very nice. And one of the things I really um, found interesting about reading the the Baron's first chapter in the book is how he he is evil obviously but he he says i think at least once or twice that i really feel bad for poor duke leto he's doomed and he doesn't know it so like there's <laughs> there's he doesn't f actually feel bad yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for leto but there's like a there's a little bit of a there's a playfulness to his character that you know he's not totally somber and i felt like i would have maybe like a little bit more of a there's a lightness to the baron's character that i would have liked play, more of, but it's not necessarily evil. Yeah, there's not necessarily an yeah. issue with that within Denis' yeah. adaptation. And that's to go to, to briefly bring something up and then I'll let you say something because I don't want to talk for too long. Um, I could have used a little more um, warmth, moments of endearing in, in the film. Um, okay. And it's not, this is not necessarily a criticism, it is just a, a preference. Uh, because I think the the overall experience of Dune is one of uh, 
awe, of wonder, of it being totally engrossed within a world of, you know, it, it, it really gets the themes and the world and the characters right. There's a lot of, there's great acting, great storytelling and everything. Um, but there's nothing that really endears me to the film in and of itself. There are moments, and like when um, when Paul, uh, when Duncan Idaho and Paul reunite for the first time on Arrakis, and he's like, "Oh, my boy," that's that's like a moment of warmth of endearingness. Yeah, that like, yeah. oh, I, I, my heart is activated in this scene, and I could have used maybe just one or two moments like that where my my on an emotional on like a loving level was yeah activated and endeared to the film and that's probably why like denis has like this this kind of modernist aesthetic that's very um very cold yeah that can be a little cold and that is what he's going for and so i cannot necessarily i'm not criticizing the film for doing that really well it's just in a perfect world if i were to get perfectly what i wanted and that's so it's not really a criticism it's just i would have liked a little bit more connection emotionally with some of the elements to me that's i understand that too but that's that was the book to me is that the book feels very cold the characters are cold they're not necessarily the most uh personality driven it's a lot about politics implications lore world building that sort of thing um and you know not to bring the comparison again but when you, you compare something like this to lord of the rings which is very jovial has a lot of warm brotherly love. (laughs) Yes, this doesn't have that. But again, he doesn't go for that. So I don't mind it. Um, But what I do want to get, and of course, just a quick caveat. This is, of course, only part one. So, yeah, I I think he's set himself up really well, really well for a very. Emotionally impactful climax, of course, is only the first half. So, you know, this is a, a comment that I could just erase. Yeah, when we well, see also, let's film. also not forget that, you know, compared to a lot of other fantasy worlds, this is a very cold world. Yeah, it's very harsh. Um, the desert's very harsh. The politics are very harsh. So it doesn't necessarily bother me. But I, I do want to get in here because I feel like we've only scratched the surface as far as characters go. Mm. Um, they've they've nailed the casting in I think just about every single way. Uh, one, because, again, we're, we have this with the hindsight of the David Lynch version, which fucks up royally i think in in just about every casting decision aside from maybe paul um maybe and the bear and the bear yes and the bear Um, and to to bring up that random ass article clickbait 10 things article one of the things they they mentioned is the dune version had a lot more memorable characters like no no well one second i'm like yes that's true um but Sting is memorable for reasons other than a quality cinematic experience. <laughs> and that goes for well, that, other things like Duke Leo yeah. holding a pug. I don't remember his character, but I remember him holding a pug. Well, I yes, I it's couldn't even it's good. begin to tell you what Duke Leo looked like in the 84 version. But I, I felt when tell you what that pug we, looked like. We, it was a good pug. I, when we spoke about the 84 version, I felt that that was one of the biggest flaws of the movie is that these characters that have so much weight in the story. I don't even fucking remember what Jessica looks like in the 84 version. Um, but in this, I mean, Oscar Isaac, amazing mm. as the Duke. So good. So, ing- but I, the one I was most surprised with was Rebecca Ferguson as Jessica, who I think absolutely nailed. 
And I, given what she was working with, I was amazed at how well she pulled off such an expositional role. She was excellent as Jessica. And it's unfortunate that one of my other, not other, because I haven't actually said any actual criticisms of the film, just things that, yeah, expectations that quite weren't quite met. Um, but Jessica in particular is, um, she's done dirty in the David Lynch one. Like it's very, very, <laughs> yes. She is made out to be useless almost. Um, yeah. and that's not at all her character. Like she is such a, a strong character in the book and that translates really well into this movie. And it's, uh, the movie rightly, rightly spends time with her and Paul and developing them together. Uh, and it, it works out for the most part. I think the movie could have done a, a tiny bit more near the end. I think she drops off just a little bit um, in terms of her presence within the film towards the um, uh, after when they've escaped the uh, desert uh, ecological center and they're going through the sandstorm and then they cross the desert. Spoilers, sort of. Um, that whole section, she kind of just fades into the background a little bit. Um, partially because that's uh, more of Paul's area of the film to start to shine. Um, but I would have liked some more like an emotional through line for her. Like, what is she feeling about uh, the Duke passing or where is she emotionally when they are um, like the the ornithopter crash lands and they're putting on the still suits together? And like, mm. where is she at at the moment? Yeah. And she just kind of follows Paul for till the end of the film where when she kind of is a, a voice of, uh, oh, I think we should go off world. And Paul disagrees with her. Um, but it's it's a fairly minor concern since she had such a really good first half, of, more than the first half of the film. Yeah. Um, and it's more so uh, not necessarily anything bad, just a little bit more would have been nice. Yeah. Not complaining. Well, she 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 has a few crucial scenes in the first half that she nails. I think that the the Ben Gesserit test scene she nails very well. Mm -hmm. She's a very good crier. Um, she has a few scenes with the the Duke that I think she does really well. Um, just uh, the, when she's inspecting the the possible house uh, maids or whatever, I think she does that really well as well. But no, she's just a very solid presence. Oscar Isaac as well. It's just one of those things where, like, I knew where the story was going. So leading up to his spoiler alerts. Well, at this point, we just spoil it. Spoilers, spoilers, yeah, whatever. The, the point where, he, you know, he's about to be assassinated. I was just like, oh, I don't want to. It's like it's, it's like it's like when we knew Al Pacino was going to die in the Irishman. <laughs> like, oh, no. Yeah, wanna, that's a, that's a, that's a perfect <laughs> analogy. That's the exact same feeling. It's oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. No. And then, you know, there's God, I, I love that scene in where he attempts to assassinate the Baron. I thought that was done so well. The, the, the it looks like fucking Adam on that chair. <laughs> looks like Adam. It very uh I've I've seen this comparison before and I think it's an app like a Rembrandt or something, like a very Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Expressionistic painting. Not an expressionistic. Oscar Lewin Davis got jacked, let's just say. He, he looks great. 
looks great. He looks incredible. Um, and the it, it almost gets more uh, just uh, feeling it emotionally impactful every time I've seen that scene with his death scene and and the music and the kind of build up to it. it it's I think it's like one of the, it's one of the few times where we get a male vocal uh, choir in the score, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and it, it has like this weight and importance to it that just is really works well. How do you um, respond to the criticisms that Hans Zimmer was asleep at the wheel for this one? What? Who's saying that? I feel I feel like everyone, every uh, discussion I've seen about it is that they just say it's insert Hans Zimmer score here. So I'm going to agree and disagree at the same time. It's. I like that they use the Wonder Woman chance. This is this is a similar thing to like me saying I want more warmth from a, a, a filmmaker who is not going for that. Yeah, uh, I think it is entirely missing the point to ask Hans Zimmer to make a memorable score. And I think people who think a score has to be memorable in order to be good are fooling themselves. I agree. I agree. Um, that it, it can be a good indicator. Like if your entire series, uh, Cough Cough Marvel, uh, has not a single piece of music that's particularly interesting, except for maybe the Avengers okay, theme from the, the first Avengers, Avengers theme. That's, that's, it. that's, that's about literally it. it. Um, th- then you might have a problem. Um, but because so the, so something that's not memorable can be indicative of a larger problem. But in and of itself, it can be a warning sign. But it's not a problem in by itself. Um, the the analogy that I use is that one of my all time favorite film scores is the Eraserhead score. I can't mm-hmm. hum a, a single t- a bar of the Eraserhead score. I just like it because it's perfect for the atmosphere. Yes, and this and is similar. This is, I think. Um, after my first viewing, I was a bit lukewarm on the score itself. Uh, I liked it. I thought it worked well with the movie, um, but I wasn't like a, a, as a thing on its own. I wasn't sure how I felt about it um, on on subsequent viewings and on subsequent like listening to it. It is really. Become obvious to me how well scored it is. Um, I think it is. Honestly, some of Hans Zimmer's best work in recent years, it's effective. And the film has so much score, like so much of the film is uh, underpinned with his score. You could almost levy the criticism, almost levy the criticism. There's too much music in the movie. Um, But you can't, I think, levy that criticism because it is such the the, the music itself is another voice, another artistic voice on top of things. And it adds so much to the experience and sells it so much. That there's also um, stuff I've noticed from uh, a YouTube um, essayist, uh, was it Thomas Flight? One of them did a video about the Dune score. Another uh, someone I was looking up Dune reactions, and it was a composer who was just talking about reacting. hasn't hadn't seen the movie, just talking about the score, and that just kind of spurned some ideas in my mind. Um, about like a lot of how much of your youtube viewing is movie reaction videos uh, it's a fair lot (laughs) a fair amount amount. my favorites are of uh people reacting to monty python the holy grail for the first time that's 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 treasured a treasured thing to find that happens but with uh with the score there are 
And to bring back Lord of the Rings into the picture, the thing that I admire so much about Lord of the Rings is one, it's memorable. Uh, but two, it is it makes good use of the the leitmotif of creating little themes for different characters and bringing those themes back up when it is appropriate. Um, and I think when that little Hobbit thing comes back at uh, Return of the King. For the most part, though, the Lord of the Rings score, great as it is, it plays it on like what you would expect the themes like, oh, this is the Nazgul theme. So we hear it when the Nazgul arrive. Fairly obvious stuff. Um, mm. But I think the more I've listened to the Dune score and as I watched it last night, I, I could tell the score itself was commenting upon scenes like when the Benny Gesserit theme would come up in scenes that did not explicitly have the Benny Gesserit in them. But their influence was what was causing the thing to happen in that scene. So, yeah, on a technical level, the the use of leitmotifs in the film was really, I think, really quite good. And it is a very inventive score. It doesn't it might not seem like it when you're in the experience of the film, but I, I would say, like, go people go listen to it on Spotify. It's not exactly the most entertaining score to listen to, but you yeah. can get a much greater uh, appreciation for its uniqueness in terms of sound and instruments being used it's not this just is the, the the humming hans Zimmer, yeah the that's the same way i felt about his score for inception i remember thinking it was pretty okay when it came out and i don't know it's been revered since then but yeah i agree i do like the tribal chanting it's good it's fun <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun fun little thing hmm. uh, another one that i thought I think the biggest surprise for me was like, obviously, those big roles you kind of have to nail. But I was surprised at how much I liked Jason Momoa as as Duncan Idaho. Jason Momoa. So speaking of like getting casting perfect, I think his his greatest achievement is like, I think we all heard, oh, Jason Momoa is going to be in that. That's cool. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Going to be fun. But then when you watch the movie, you're like, holy shit, this is. A plus Duncan Idaho casting one because he just kind of fits his his personality yeah, fits the name yeah. Duncan Idaho, which is absurd. I'll admit it that is. despite it is making a meme pointing fun at everyone making fun <laughs> of Duncan Idaho, but it, he fits. He fits the role very well and he does a good job. And the only reason I remember who the actor for the 84 Duncan Idaho was, because the only other thing I'd ever seen him in was a movie I love, uh, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. He's one of the main characters in that. And I just th I remember thinking, oh, this is literally the only other thing I've ever seen him in. And he's boring as hell in that movie. Of course. And Duncan Idaho, again, you're talking about the, the, these these little moments of warmth. He has all of those moments. Y yes. <laughs> every it's almost like a different movie every time he's on the screen. And that's important because his again, spoiler alert, his death is one of well. the other big uh, uh, catalysts towards the darker second half. I think they nailed that. Like the man who was too angry to die. It was a great <laughs> little hallway fight scene. Um, but it was a good, but one of the great things about that in particular, and it is indicative of a bunch of other things in the film. Um, when we, we originally in the fairly early on in the movie, we get Paul and Duncan talking together. And we see Paul's vision of the future of Duncan dead. Uh, obviously, we're not sure in the context of the film whether that is the future or not, um, as it has not been confirmed whether or not 
Paul is, his premonitions are accurate. Um, but in that specific vision, we get a wide shot. He says, I saw you lying on the ground. You can't exactly pick out Duncan the first time you watch it. You can, but it, he yeah. kind of blends in. And then you see another shot that's close up. But he is, Duncan himself is um, blurred out in the background. And you see a beetle in the shot. Like, that's an interesting framing choice. I really like that. In and, in and of itself, it was an interesting way of presenting that. But then yeah. later on in the movie, when Duncan Idaho is just kind of waiting as, um, as Paul, Jessica, and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Kynes are talking in the ecological center, you can just get a little shot of, of Duncan Idaho with the, the beetle on his hand, and he's looking at the beetle. It's a good Dude. callback. And then you, of course, see <laughs> it, it when he, and he dies. Yeah. But that's like, if you're paying attention, that's like a little detail of like, here's Paul's vision at the very beginning of the movie, and it gets a little set up. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. that's where we're at. It clues you in that this is the future that we're in. His vision was correct. It's very solid. It g gives the, the story a sense of stakes when you lose both Oscar Isaac and Duncan Idaho. Um, and yeah, he's just he's I, I never been like a big fan of him and other things. Hmm. He's fine as Aquaman. I don't like or dislike him, but he just absolutely nailed it. And not not necessarily. I mean, it's not like he's not acting any different. It's just he fits really well into this specific character hmm. where he's just effortlessly embodies duncan idaho <laughs> it's a role that was made for him shall we say yes and yeah. it and you know i think to a certain extent you might say aquaman was also a role that he fits into quite well i mean the fact but, that he 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 resurrected aquaman from meme hell is that that should be enough to, to yeah. speak for his ability and this is just the denis villeneuve casting him and fitting molding him into the film itself like it's good casting in and of itself but it's also there's a film that is working around him to make that character work um in yeah. a way that you know dc movies are eh, hit or miss and yeah you know even though he's he does fit into the aquaman role, role quite well you know the the movie around him is kind of meh but this is the opposite he fits into the role quite well and the movie around him makes yeah gives that character stakes and importance and that's what makes it so uh so effective yeah and of, of course the, the most important essential casting was obviously uh little timmy as as paul and uh i don't know mm. how you feel i thought he did mm. really well i was gonna say the most important casting was the pug which was mysteriously missing <laughs> from this film no they replaced it with a, a spider demon <laughs> so Timothy Chalamet. We've we've mentioned. Are him you a fan on the podcast? I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I like him as an actor. I wouldn't I say too. I'm a fan. I'm indifferent. Same. Yeah. Like I I've seen Lady Bird. He's great in that. Great in he's Little great. Women. Um, um, he's been in other things. Uh, beautiful Boy is allegedly decent. Yeah. Call Me by Your Name. I thought he was all right. Oh, in... Yeah, he was good in that. Um. I I felt his. This was not something I had an issue with necessarily. His acting was a little, um, it wasn't perfect throughout. Like there were some moments where it was like, eh, mm. and maybe that was a direction thing. Like there's a moment when uh, they first arrive on Arrakis and he 
goes to greet uh, Thufir. And he acts very uh, boyish in that moment. And I'm like, this is good in theory. Um, but I thought that the direction or either his action, acting or direction in that was like, it's a little too boyish. Like he's been somewhat serious, but he had, we, we do get yeah. a sense of youth and innocence from him. But this was just a little too much of that, if, if that makes sense. So not, yeah, necessarily, no, I agree. not necessarily wrong. It just was perhaps a little too much. Or I think the movie could have emphasized his innocence just a little bit more to make his coming of age sort of uh, yeah. arc here a little more uh, obvious, but it is there. Um, but with that being said, there are these moments are just a little few and far between. They're not moments that, that make a difference. And the, the moments in the film that he needs to nail it excellent acting like the the scene yeah. the hand in the box scene that's that's the best acting i've seen from him ever period like that he sold that scene yeah yeah i agree the thing, thing about paul is compared to a lot of other characters even in the context of the book is that paul to me ironically enough since he's a protagonist he always felt like the blankest slate sort of by design to me because I, I think the interesting thing about Paul, at least the way I see it, is that uh, there's an element of inevitability to his character, that nothing about him is his own choice. So it makes sense to me that he's a little bit more passive in his uh, in his performance. But I think he just has that look because Paul, to me, always did feel boyish. That's yes. that's one of the things that I think they nail in nail as one can nail in the Lynch version is that Kyle MacLachlan has that boyish quality, mm. that naivety, that innocence that I think uh, translates really well. Paul has something similar, especially when you put him next to fucking Duncan Idaho, who is just one of Jason Momoa's arms is the same depth as Timothy Chalamet. Um, but he sells that. And I think he sells a lot of um, the, the scene with the worm, the, 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 the favorite scene of the movie for me if i'm being completely honest if i were to also be completely honest it's the best scene in the movie and <laughs> it is one of the most impressive cinematic feats i've seen in a while like i agree not not necessarily like you know there's there's scenes in movies where like i i, I get more emotional stimulation from or more intellectual stimulation from but sitting in the theater, particularly yesterday, last night, I was just like, it just washed over me. The music and everything like this is like 100 percent. The, the experience yeah. of cinema is working. It, it, there's nothing you could have done better. That kind of I like agree. a realization that this is perfect, a perfect moment. It, it, you know, watching that when I saw that again, this is one of the more memorable scenes in the book. This this is my face the entirety of that like ten to fifteen minutes. I was just like waiting to see the worm. <laughs> Show me and the, the worm. worm. Did not disappoint. Um, I will say the worm when it shows up again did disappoint, but this scene, the uh, whatever the fuck it's called, the, the big worm. Uh, this was incredible. This was amazing. This was cinema. This is what this is what deserts were built for. And I, I maybe I just was misremembering the book, but I could have swore that in the book, the worm just damages the the mining uh, ship. I don't remember it eating the entire mining ship. I don't remember either, but that's it. 
It's a great visual. That was genuinely surprising because again, it's 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 the it's the it's the score, it's the the stakes, the 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 time limit of the moment, the, the fact that you just see this massive shifting mountain moving at you in the distance. It really it's the best scene in the movie. I agree. It's it's pure capital C cinema. Um, and just that's that is one of the things where I just the whole time I was thinking this is one scene that they have to nail because the worm doesn't really show up all that much. You would expect in in doing the worm the worm to be a lot more present. It's in little bits and pieces, but you you need to sell how fucking terrifying that worm is and i thought they did a really good job they did um, yeah not as not as much the second time it's yeah, still good still still fine yeah still solid um i feel like now we should naturally maybe we should move into the to the to the less than good parts of the movie uh, i don't know what well, yours are well i i've been kind of sprinkling them in here and there and yeah a lot of my reservations about the movie that I had on the original viewing. And I think your, your bringing up of Fellowship of the Ring is a very apt comparison. It's a comparison I've been making constantly in my mind of, of like- I hate to gold, do it, but it's no, the only-, no. it's, the well, only... it's I, I think, in my mind, it's good to have a idea of what, what you like in movies and to analyze why that works. And I think both of us have have- thought a bit about why fellowship of the ring works um and it is i think we you'd agree the gold standard of of series Everything. beginnings <laughs> of beginnings yes, of setting yes. things up yeah, because no, it is it is not a complete story but and yet it tells a very fulfilling story so much so that it's a lot of people's favorite of the trilogy despite the fact that it doesn't resolve anything doesn't have a big big battle or anything uh, I, I yeah. constantly flop, flip flop between all three, so I can't say at the <laughs> moment. Um, but the thing I was looking for, and the thing I was comparing—not com- comparing—is the wrong word. The thing that I was um, using fellowship as a um, a litmus test to see if Dune succeeded in this in this regard is, you know, it doesn't. It's not telling a complete narrative in a um, practical sense, in like. The, the story of Dune is not completed, leaves a lot of things, it's, it's halfway there, um, but does yeah. it within the context of the runtime tell a fulfilling story um, character-wise? Obviously, with Fellowship of the Ring, you have Boromir's character arc. Uh, Frodo goes through a bit of a character arc. Um, you, could, you could even say some other characters do too. Um, Gandalf, but, th- but that's agree. that's the important Are thing you? of like there's a yeah. development that the film starts in one place and ends someplace else, and I wasn't sure that Dune did that the first time I watched it, um, character wise. Yeah, I am much more sold, much more sold after a third viewing, on the effectiveness of Paul's arc within the film. Uh, it is extremely subtle. And, you know, take that or leave it, whether you like it or not. Um, and but my reservation, my major reservation with the film was, you know, where does Paul begin? Where does it end? And I wasn't sure it was obvious enough. But after watching it again, um, I just was like, OK, he starts out as a very innocent child who has a lot of expectations of people who are placing 
weight on him and he he see the movie sells his curiosity his not his youthfulness his innocence and all that and i think it does ultimately bring him to a place at the end when obviously he kills a man and the film makes that makes that point of saying he's becoming someone else and this is of course just the first half of a journey but i think it does um effectively create somewhat of a complete little narrative within that self that's a great little moment in that final Fremen fight where basically Paul has multiple opportunities to just end it right there. And Stilgar says something along the lines of like, is he toying with him? You know, and Jessica's like, he's never killed a man. Ooh. Ooh. Fate, fate and society are, are telling Paul, Paul's trying to do the right thing. Uh, and, and fate and society are telling him to do the wrong thing. And well, it's not going to work out for many people at the very end when he starts not doing the right thing. <laughs> Spoiler. With more consequences. Yeah. Well, we'll see if they even go as far as to adapt the second book. That, that's yeah, what it's going to get. And you know what? That's the thing. But I, I watched, I was not watched. I, I skipped, of course, to the end of the, the novel, the very last couple pages, just to read it. And yeah. it's fairly, if you know what you're looking for, it's fairly obvious. He's not exactly going to be a benevolent emperor of the galaxy like it's not not looking pretty the 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 signs are there and i think yeah that there's room to maneuver within just the narrative of dune itself to make the point the group the broader point of that that uh frank herbert was trying to make about not all all heroes are necessarily good don't don't trust the charismatic i'm really curious about that that's why i feel i can't necessarily 100 percent judge my feelings on this movie until i see the second part um just again i'm sure people did with fellowship but what it needs to do i think it does and even Um, more so than sorry to interrupt but even more so than fellowship um this is it's a part one and a part two and i they are one going to be one movie one very long movie i think that's the point that's how it's being sold. Um, it's kind of like, sort of like uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2, um, despite that there's a, people do tend to like one more than the other, but they are, they should be considered one continuous narrative. It's like someone. This is not like the Star Wars trilogy. It's like someone chopped a movie in, in half. And it's, it's also not, I think, necessarily like, um, Deathly Hallows part one and part two. Yeah. I think there they consciously like they made Deathly Hallows part one into a movie in and of itself. This very much feels like it is a part of a greater whole that it's not trying to like it's an episode in a grander structure and, you know, judge it accordingly. Uh, I, I just want to speak quickly on some issues that I had because my issues are not big. Um, well, one of the, I said this earlier um, with the possibility of my issues being resolved with an extended version, but one of the, the, the painfully underdeveloped uh, sections of the movie I felt was um, Dr. Yui, who I felt his casting was solid, but I felt that his motivation to betray the house was not necessarily 
developed all that well. It's one of the few things I argue that the 84 version does better. You you could make that argument. I'm going to disagree. Um, and uh, the day after Dean Stockwell dies, you're going to disagree. I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with your comments about. Yes. You know, yeah, sure. I will. I will agree. Acquiesce to your comment that Dune 84 does. Dr. UA from the book. Better. However, it is clear from this film that De- Denis didn't even try to put any greater emphasis or character development on Dr. Yue. Therefore, yeah. it would it'd be one thing if like there were little hints of him betraying, but there's nothing. There's nothing. There's likewise there is no explanation of like the book. It's very it's it's emphasized again and again that the the Sook doctors are programmed and they can't betray and that's why he's such a um the perfect tool for uh, the Harkonnens to use. But this, the, the movie does not in and of itself, the movie does not set up that there's no reason for him to betray. Doesn't give him, doesn't talk about um, the programming that they've received, um, leaves that entirely out and he just betrays them. This is, mm-hmm. I think you could, a similar comments that I made to the Baron is like, you could have more. But that that sense of wanting more is more from the book and the movie is not concerned with him as a character. And therefore, I think it'd be wrong to levy a criticism as we didn't get enough of him. Hmm. Now, here's another thing. I'm going to I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm going to use a Jacob Kaufman tactic because there's one issue I feel that this this film has again after only a first viewing. As that this it's got a bit of that of that classic second act slump, I would argue. Um, specifically, I went in with a certain again, maybe this is just because of the expectations I went in going in. Maybe a second viewing will change that. But to me, the what felt like the climactic ending of the story in this film was uh, the Duke's assassination. Um, obviously, that was that that is a big set piece, maybe a midpoint more than anything. Um, but really, the climax of the film is the Fremen fight after Paul has escaped. Um, but I do feel that that there's like a good stretch between the all out war, the Harkonnens rage on the Atreides, Leto's death. Um, there's a good stretch of their escape, um, their, their escape with Liet Kynes and Duncan Idaho's death or whatever. Good stretch from there to that final Fremen fight that uh, I just felt you could really feel the runtime. It kicks up again towards the end once they reunite with the Fremen. But there's like a good amount of flying the ship through the storm, trusting your instincts, landing the ship, walking through the desert. There's a worm. Liet Kynes dies. And I don't think they necessarily utilize Liet Kynes character all that well in this hmm. in this film. I disagree. And not poorly, but I don't no, know. I just great. I never felt that that character was all that important to me. But uh, that is but again, this is one viewing. Maybe you felt similar on the first viewing. Maybe you didn't. Well, um, but it, that she, she has one of those characters where it's like it's like for me, it wasn't important for me to be attached to her, but at least to feel her importance within the plot and the narrative. And I thought she was a really good supporting character, a supporting yeah. character, um, particularly on, on, a, on the reviewing. 
this is partially, I think, what I was getting at when I was talking about uh, Jessica and how she kind of falls off a little bit towards the uh, the end there. Um, so I will agree, but disagree. I think the slump is a lot smaller than that. I think yeah. the uh, everything up until Duncan Idaho dies, um, the pacing moves for it obviously slows down after the big fight scene yeah um but yeah i'm just and, i was amazed at how well yeah it kept my and, attention and, and that whole time i'd be surprised if i i think you'll you'll like it more yeah. you won't have as much of it you might still think it slumps a little bit uh yeah. i'd be surprised if you didn't find it a little bit more kind of engaging because as a viewer, I think I, I too was like, this is like a big emotional moment here that I was waiting for, expecting, building up to that. And then going into the, the second half of the film, it feels a little more um, intimate, dis- well, intimate, but disjointed. Like it's, it's lost some of its um, forward momentum purpose, maybe. Um, well, it's maybe because like the first half, you have these two sides of the story, the Atreides and the Harkonnens, and they're boom, 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 boom midpoint that clash that's where it gets really interesting and then instead of the 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 coming together in the it's two it almost feels like two different stories is the harkonnens are dealing with the fallout of this invasion and paul is sort of uh, recollecting himself obviously that different scales but and um, and part of me is judging this slightly differently than a, a normal movie because it is moving into the second act like we are in the we're still in the first half of the second act this whole area, if we are to view it yeah. as, a, as a complete story. The other thing is that um, for pacing, since it's such a nebulous concept, um, I was looking for like what are, are obviously there's going to be a slower pacing after the big fight scene. But are these scenes um, in- engaging in the raising of stakes? Are they engaging on a character level? And if you answer yes to one or the other, I can ultimately work past any any potential pacing claims. Um, yeah. So I think up until Duck in Idaho goes, I think the film is quite strong uh, in terms of keeping it with the characters. It does get a little um, less well-constructed on multiple mm. levels as they are flying into the dust storm. Uh, but on second viewings, the the dust storm itself that whole sequence and particularly his vision of um Stilgar. No, not Stilgar. The the one he kills. Oh, anyway, know. but that that scene of him the the vision about we need to let go and flow with the process, that was like really uh a emotionally connecting action scene, I think, on on a further reviewing of like I'm mm-hmm. I'm here for this. Um the the real slump there is one is when they crash and they are making their journey from there to the fremen like that with the thumper that portion is it does slump a bit and I'm, i'm trying to like figure out whether it's actually an issue or whether it's just a a um a result. Is it a slump or is it a moment of brevity? Is right. it a moment where we calm down? Of where it's doing something different, like the point of it is kind of 
a journey into the unknown. It's yeah. it's not going for the big emotional moments or the stakes or anything like that. Uh, but it does lose some of that. Does lose the stakes until the worm and the fremen come back in. Um, and the character wise, um, I think it could have used a little a little more from either Jessica or Paul, like a, a moment of like dealing with the emotional fallouts of Leto being dead, Duncan Idaho yeah. or something. Um, I didn't get the character connection within that sequence that I think could have been there. And that's the mm. only that's the only part of the film where I felt could have done a little bit more here. Yeah. And I also do feel um, I talked about it earlier, but I don't I don't as much care for this second scene with the worm. I feel just in general, but it, it's so dark. It's so hard to see the worm. Everything's so gray, whatever. Um, but I do just want to take a moment here to to praise specifically the, the visual effects, because my God, you this is you need. We're not theater elitists. You can you can view a movie however you'd like. However, I'm going to break my own rule and say, if you really want to see this movie, I'm going to I'm going to recommend you see it in IMAX if you if you have the the true IMAX because it is it was designed for that particular viewing experience. Um I've never been one to be like amazed at uh, visual effects because I feel like we're at a point now where so much is possible that I I I failed to be impressed these days but my God, he really knows how when to use the big models, when to use the practical stuff. Just I, I'm equally amazed as something at something like these giant ships in the background because he understands how to position them to get the full effect of their scale. But I'm also really impressed by just the simple effect of the Sardaukar floating down. It's so cool. it's such it's such an uneasy effect. So simple. Uh, that end oh my god again we only get a little bit of the fremen we we but we fully understand just how advanced a warrior race they are solely from the way they just pop out of the fucking sand because that was just one of the coolest things i've seen in a minute he he understands what makes these concepts interesting i i kind of i kind of want them to have actually like buried people in the sand and like <laughs> you, you have the the first ad like you okay down there <laughs> another 20 minutes spot. before we're ready to to do the shot <laughs> hold your breath a little longer and I, it, it it almost feels like bullying at this point to keep bringing up the 84 version the the david lynch version <laughs> but holy shit one of the most beautifully upgraded uh, elements is the shields because <laughs> the the dune 84 shields are some of the most painfully awful visual effects i've seen in any movie they're they're just so stupid but in this uh, that was one thing i was worried about i'm like how are they gonna it, make it's like someone went with the the animatic the original like the the <laughs> you've just done a little sketch of a box around a character is like this is where the shield will go and then someone's and like oh that's how the effect should lurk <laughs> it's just a box and not the original I sketch just, oh- I was overthinking it this whole time. I'm like, how are they going to make it look real? How are they going to implement the shields in a believable way? All you have to do is make it blue and sometimes red. That's it. (laughs) It's a great, easy visual that really helps with uh, kind of understanding the fighting in certain sequences. Makes it. Yeah. Adds another interesting visual layer. 
to the fight scenes. Yeah, especially the Duncan Idaho fight. Duncan Idaho, Duncan Idaho fight. The fight, uh, the the training session with Gurney. It's just, uh, it's it, he nails it. He nails it. And the worm. Obviously, we talked about the worm, but Arrakis. Arrakis runs on Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> uh the there is one effect one effect okay so one and here's the th- here's the thing about effects effects don't wow us because I-, I think that they are used as a a crutch and yeah. they're not used in any interesting ways and you like we know what effects can do the the wow factor comes from using creating a doing world building correctly of doing something interesting and and building up a world in a way that when you finally get to some effects, like in this film, like you're slowly building up to the worm, and that makes the effect more engaged, viscerally engaging, and work better because of the buildup, um, amongst other things within the film. That the the reason the effects are like wow. Is because you like the world building. You think it's interesting. The design, yeah. everything is working. It's, to it's a make costume something beautiful. for the world. It's yeah. a little accessory. Um, there's one moment where I think the effects were bad. Oh, I think we have the same. I think we're on the same page here. Do you? I think so. Uh, it has to do with water. No, we're not on the same page. Yeah, I, I okay. didn't. Because before, when we, we both brought up the Baron and the one moment we found funny. It wasn't okay. Same. So the, the one moment is when they are leaving Caladan and the ship is coming out of the water. Yeah. There is... I think, I, th- I think it's a pretty objectively not a good water effect for just a couple seconds. Just as the... You only saw it I, I believe you. Okay. I believe you. And it, it's not the water itself as, as the ship emerges, as it's like falling yeah, off. Okay. They have that. It's as the water is bulging as the, the ship is coming up. The, the like, right, like there's an object here and yeah. the water has surface tension. That surface tension isn't quite right. The rest I can forgive. I, it's not. I, I 100% believe you. It didn't okay. occur to me. That is very funny to me, though. And now I'll, I will specifically be looking for that. Great. My second view. What was, what was your well, thing? let's see if we're on. Okay, uh, the, 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 towards the end, there's another vision that Paul has of the future where he is fighting with uh, the Fremen. That looks fucking awful. Not necessarily the, 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 the effects work around the Fremen fighting, the CGI fights, but there's a very particular moment where Paul's face is revealed under the Fremen mask, and I thought, my God, this is just horrible. <laughs> and it's funny, because I know you didn't watch the trailers because you wanted to go in raw, uh, raw. Uh, yeah. But there are two specific moments where that actually got me worried for the movie because I thought these look awful. One of it being the gray worm uh, and two that shot. It just it looks so bad. Um, whatever. Can't can't yeah. can't knock it all out of the park. I don't necessarily disagree. <laughs> I, I don't want to agree just for the sake of the film. Um, and also because it didn't bother me, but I agree. It didn't bother me either, but I did think, oh, that's awful. That's real. That's ugh. especially when because another thing that I, I love about this movie is just how simple but effective the the costume work is. Um, and, and the Fremen outfits are amazing. Great. And then they ruin it with PS3 Timothy Chalamet face. But what, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? It's only brief. It's, it's a brief, brief moment. It's, it's brief. a vision. You can Whatever. pass it off as he's having a. 
graphics card wasn't activated for vision sequence. <laughs> his dreams didn't put RTX did. on. Yeah. 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 He didn't activate good graphics for his, his visions. He needed some drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Another thing I find funny, it's not a criticism at all, but I, I do know a few, a few people who saw this specifically because Zendaya was in it. I just think that's funny. That they showed up expecting a Zendaya movie. She's in it for all of two minutes. To be fair, um, Jameis, that's it. That's the name of the the, the Fremen. No, oh. he kills. <laughs> Jameis. Uh, sure. Zendaya is in it. Yeah. For like her presence is throughout the movie. It's just not when you f- when they finally meet, it's a it's a pretty big moment. Yeah. I felt that. Likewise, yeah. uh, you know, the movie builds up to you, you don't you're not really sure what the movie is building up to uh, as far as Paul's uh, character arc is like it doesn't make itself known as to what his trajectory is, which is yeah. partially the reason why I wasn't sure on the first viewing whether he had one or not. Um, but it does set up him killing Jameis in a very interesting way that I think I, I really love the more I think about. And one, the very first person you see in the movie is Jameis, uh, actually. Uh, uh, the face, at least. You see a uh, Harkonnen soldier first, technically. Um, ah. But you, you're, you're established, the, the Fremen are established in the, the opening scene of the movie. Um, and obviously it's anticipation the, until we get to the end. Um, but uh, Jameis does come through like various points of the film. We see him, um, in particular, during the, the sandstorm scene. He has that moment of giving uh, advice to Paul, uh, something I was, I was very, very happy to, to read, um, fairly early on in the book. So in Lord of the Rings, one of the great things I love, and I think they really did well about that adaptation is a fidelity to the novel. Um, not necessarily in the strictest, uh, sense where they took lines from some characters and where they wouldn't necessarily like, they couldn't fit them in, in the particular scene where they were Mm -hmm. set in the book but they did manage to fit them in elsewhere and sometimes gave those lines to different characters. Um, I think the opening lines that Galadriel says in Fellowship of the Ring, I think that's um, Treebeard says that. Or Tom Bombadil, somewhat. But like that, lines from one character are given to another, and at the very least, that that the language of Tolkien is preserved in that respect. Yeah. I think they, for the most part, they gave the lines to people who, who it made sense. And it, it adds an interesting layer. Um, so that, that scene where Jameis is giving the advice to Paul about going with the flow, um, that is, those are lines directly lifted from the book. And actually I found a couple lines within the first couple chapters directly lifted. It's not a lot. A lot of the dialogue is its own creation, um, but they did put the, uh, the effort into that. And, um, oh. Technically, Paul says the line in the book, but it's actually something that the Reverend Mother tells tells him. Yes. The quote is, uh, she said, the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. So I quoted the first law of the Mentat to her. Process cannot be understood by stopping it. Uh, Understand and move with the flow of the process. You must join with it, must flow with it. This seemed to satisfy her. So that was repurposed in a very, I think, emotionally affecting moment of the film. And one of the 
particularly interesting things that the film deals with is that obviously the the idea of um, prescience of seeing the future and whether Paul is trapped by the future or not. And I think the um, the film does a good job of of very subtly showing that he he both is and is not trapped by the future. That his visions are both true and untrue. That like we see multiple times uh, visions of Zendaya uh, stabs him in one vision. This is uh, later revealed to be more of a metaphorical thing than an actual. Um, yeah. But we also see the the visions that he has of Jameis are of him being his teacher, of teaching him about the ways of the Fremen. And we're led to believe that that's the, that they're going to become friends in the future. And I find it so interesting that that's not the case, that he has to kill him in at the end of the film. Kind of, I think, adds a little bit more agency onto Paul, which is, I think, is a good choice. Of, I agree. There's some ambiguity to what is happening. Like he can see the future, but it isn't necessarily set in stone. And ultimately it is his choices that will lead into the bad future that he sees. Not necessarily just in and of itself, fate moving him. It's good. I agree. Themes and ideas (laughs) exploring. Look at that. In movies. Weird. What? Not, not as good as Venom 2, pretty close. Uh, quick side. Did you, did you this, see You know, this uh, is a movie that seems like Tom Hardy should have shown up in at some point, but he didn't. Like we have a, Tom a bunch Hardy of like, is Duncan Idaho. <laughs> no, Tom I was Hardy thinking, is random faceless pilot that you, you don't see until the very end. No. I was thinking um, one of, uh, uh, I, just in my head, I'm like, okay, who else could have played Duncan Idaho? The only other person I can think of was um, Chris Evans. Would have been fine. I, I'm yeah. happy with Jason Momoa. Like, there's a oh, certain... me too, me too. Like, I, I, I don't think I, I think if I was casting <laughs> Dune, I wouldn't have chosen Jason Momoa, but that was the right choice. Like, it's it worked. Yeah, it's out of the box, and I think sometimes you need. Well, um, so, yeah. Well, because there's that kind of casting where it's out of the box, but works really well. But then there's like casting that is just like so perfect that, of course, it's going to be that guy. And for me, that was Josh Brolin. Hmm. <laughs> that was um, another thing where obviously um, Gurney and Thufir get kind of. Um, Sidelined. Their roles are, are diminished. And that was another thing that I, I took some time to like, OK, is this. Does the movie need their roles in order to explain the story? And the answer is no. Unfortunately, you don't Same need to know. The, uh, Peter. 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 That's, that's who I kept saying too <laughs> until I watched like a behind the scenes thing where he said Peter. But the whole time I was just thinking, it's Peter. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's always be Peter. Just like it would be uh, uh, Harkonnen. That's just how I pronounce it. I, I know it's I'm, Hark- I'm it is actually... No, there is no side. We have recordings of uh, uh, Frank Herbert. It's Harkonnen. What does Frank know? <laughs> Art does not belong to the artist. No, but y- the way you say it is correct. The way they say it in the film oh, is okay. the way that the author intended. And so, you, so I am, you're I, intentionally siding with Lynn. I'm a product of of watching David Lynch's Dune. Yes. Uh, so, but on further viewings, this is another thing about detail is that, you know, you don't get a lot of screen time with Gurney or, or through fear. But I think the screen time you do get, particularly with Gurney, is very well used. And 
you know, it's easy to miss on a first viewing, but you do get a few moments of Gurney reciting poetry in the film. It's like blink and you miss them, but they're there. Um, and there's, you know, when Paul and him have their scene together, he gets a little moment of um, uh, endearing to him where he he puts his hand on. Well, first he's like, you you see his he cares about Paul a lot, wants him to understand the gravity of the situation. He puts his hand on his, his cheek as a bit of like a reassurance. Great, great little moments like throughout the. And then obviously we mentioned earlier his dislike of Stilgar, his little scoffing at that. It's great. Well, uh, um, him in particular, the one thing I wish they would have carried from the book is that uh, in the book he sings, he plays the Dune version of the guitar. And I thought that'd be fun. I think there's that. a great opportunity, um, spoilers, for Dune Part 2 um, when we eventually meet up with Gurney again and he's living with the Fremen. I think there's like a great like a pre-ending battle sequence where all the Fremen, they're getting ready and Gurney is singing. We'll a, see. We'll see. A good opportunity. Lock in your predictions now. Um, but as far as uh, uh, Through Fear goes, again, this is, this is my metric for, for how uh, a, a film is perceived. Um, on my Twitter timeline, as of right now, I'd say uh, about every six or seven tweets is a Through Fear meme. So <laughs> what? Yeah. I, was, I, I, I haven't seen a single foo fear me why haven't you sent me these no, but that's the thing okay i'll, I'll give I'll, I'll explain the the base foundation of a foo fear meme the one i saw first like immediately at the theater was me watching a movie with my mom where have i seen that actor before insert image of foo fear rolling his eyes in the back of his head <laughs> of, mm. it's just that one scene because mm. i thought that was a really fun little bit is when he does his little mentat thing not mentat mm-hmm. Yeah, Mentat thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and th- that's another moment where, like, if you have if you've read the book, you're you could think to yourself, "Oh, I don't think people are going to understand what he's doing there." Um, but I think there's at least from watching people react to the film, for the most part, people un- seem, seem to, to get it. yeah seem to get the fact that like he does this weird thing with his eyes and then comes up with a number, and they're like, "Oh, he must be doing some kind of like calculation," and it's like, "Oh, that's weird." And that's one of those things where like. That's interesting. You're not quite sure what's going on there, uh, but there's enough that you can kind of put the clues together. And that's what if I was to try to summarize a little bit, like one thing that the the Dune adaptation does really well that I think more movies need to do is it treats the audience with respect and like the audience doesn't doesn't dumb it down for the audience. It, it, and it has paid off. It It has paid off immensely. I am shocked at how well like generally well received like later in 2049 people tended tended to really like that movie but it was slow and as a result i think it didn't do as well in the theaters i have not heard anyone people who like reviewers online who typically don't like slow movies i i haven't seen any like the 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 criticism level that oh this is this is too slow a film this is too hard to understand this is too artsy None of that. This is a fairly wide appeal for a movie that is pretty non-standard Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. Everyone I know has seen this movie, including the people I work with who aren't like super into movies. It is it's an actual cultural phenomenon, which I never would have imagined. It brings warm feelings to my heart. It does. It 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 
it's nice to see uh, Dune memes. Well, yeah, everyone has something to, to attach themselves to. If, you know, you're not too into sci-fi, but you could be really into Duncan Idaho memes or <laughs> Thufir memes. Maybe just you really like Timothy Chalmain and that's why you, you're here. But and that, Again, not to we keep bringing up this comparison, but it feels similar to how Star Wars and Lord of the Rings sort of enter the the cultural milieu or whatever. But I feel like the world is Dune pilled, and I never would have imagined the uh, cosmonaut Marcus refers to it as the Dune agenda. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. I don't. Th- I don't so, think any of us were really expecting how much it's caught off before we watched Dune. Uh, before we saw it in a movie theater yeah Um, and i think this is the first time i'm ever like thinking of a movie exec over at like warner bros and thinking of them as being very happy that their film project has been doing very well and i can only (laughs) imagine that they're this this has paid off very well for them more so than i think anyone expected and i'm very happy that they they did the right thing and fairly quickly it didn't feel quick when we were waiting but fairly quickly they announced they greenlit part two when it became yeah this was was, this was a thing this was a cultural thing this was a a box office success for the most part it might not i don't think it it might not make back like every penny when it comes to like the marketing costs which are added they are not included in the production budget but i think it's enough of a a winner that warner bros is extremely ecstatic about the, the success well yeah and i'm curious to see what the, the streaming numbers were because part of the deal of the second dune is that it's going to be theatrical exclusive for a few weeks i don't remember how many weeks but we should be interesting. back to I also normal if i remember then. correctly i don't know what the status on it now is but i knew that there was talks of a, a benny jesuit miniseries at hbo we'll see if that still happens but uh another thought before it escapes from me because I, I thought of this earlier is that Dune is one of those books. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning of like, you need to get the right person to adapt it. Um, I think we got a very good adaptation of Dune. And I think there's also room for further adaptations um, in the future. And in a way that I think is not for me, wouldn't necessarily seem like a cash grab. It would be a cash grab. Uh, cash grab, obviously. Yeah. It's their movies. That's what they are. Um, yeah. But justifying their existence, like the fact of the matter is, is that this this movie, despite its length and despite that you know it's two and a half hours, and I'm going to expect the next one will be two and a half hours. So it's a five hour adaptation of Dune, which is a lot of runtime. It leaves out a lot, and so because of that, I think that there is room for another adaptation to be completely different and i have a theory that you could you could make get a different director get a different person to make an adaptation every 10 years and they'd be all very different movies i think dune has that sort of um versatility to it um and content to it and so i i hope in the future that we get another one i don't i'm i'm sated for now i'm happy with what i have uh, but i'd be curious to hear someone else's voice in this particular story um and it's something like a mini series i think is a great like a chernobyl style five part uh dune adaptation would be kind of cool or whatever but it's um i dune think dune is the new macbeth 
Well, there is, yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> I said, yeah, I didn't really think about that. Uh, um, there is, there's hope, a new hope, Dune, a new hope in, <laughs> uh, in, for the franchise, um, going forward that, you know, now that we have a competent adaptation, we can move forward and, um, with new possibilities of adaptations of the sequels or, um, you know, uh, a further adaptation many years to come, but I'm happy, very, co- very content with this adaptation. Mm. If, if summarization of the review, cinema is saved. Yes, <laughs> C- cinema is back on the menu. The where this falls in my ranking of movies this year is it's difficult, very difficult. Um, I wasn't so sure after my first viewing of Dune uh, or after my second viewing. But now I think it's like a three-way tie between this, Green Knight, and Inside. Um, (laughs) The reason why those two are still ahead of this one is they have more kind of, well, Inside obviously feels very personal. And that's one of the reasons why it's where it is. Um, Green Knight is also kind of... um, felt more intimate to me so it's just a little closer yeah. in and so this one despite its distance though as like this i think is like the cinematic experience of the year so far that i've seen um maybe not necessarily the best movie like quote unquote but certainly the movie that i think will, will the, go the down defining movie of yeah. this year of this yes. moment yeah and i agree however i have it at three so i guess we have it in the same spot I could see it. And I also up. have Green Knight in the top three as well. But you know, I'll just we'll, we'll spoiler. I won't even show it. But that's that's my. I have your top three, but just in two through four. Yeah, I wonder what could possibly be in that number one what spot. Could, what could it be? It's, uh, it's certainly not last night. So <laughs> the card count. <laughs> it's Belfast. You got a pre a pre screening. <laughs> You've been uh, Kenneth Branagh pilled. It's Jackass Four. <laughs> it's the Resident Evil movie. <laughs> what was it? Uh, Moonfall. God, that trailer looks so fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I. Joel like, Schumacher a, is back. There is a sense of self-loathing. Like, what am I doing with my life? That I get very specifically from watching trailers nowadays. Like, I, I, like you are making a. Like physically, like a visceral reaction of like, I hate living at this moment watching these trailers. And it's it's probably just because I'm That's... so unused to watching them. Like I got used to during the pandemic not being subjected to 20 minutes of trailers before watching what I actually yeah. came to watch. And it's painful. It is physically painful. Well, it's funny because the the like first the last month or two of me my movie view, because I've gone to the movies a lot since they've reopened. Um, but there are a few trailers where, like, I just go to the bathroom, even if I even if I don't have to go, because it's just I cannot watch them again. Um, I can I will if I ever hear the opening choir notes of the Eternals trailer, uh, it's just it's sending me into a PTSD. Well, well, thankfully you you don't have to deal with that anymore because it's out. That's gone, and they're not. We're playing. in a post Eternals trailer world. Um, however, what was the last movie I saw it was French Dispatch. We'll talk about it later. But the, the, one of the 
the best moments of that theater going experience was finally seeing the licorice pizza trailer in a theater just whew. i that i uh, it's gonna be been, a toss-up i've been avoiding trailers for things i care about um this is probably fair. I, I, I don't care as much when it comes to things like moonfall or the resident evil movie <laughs> i don't care i suffer through them um but I, I left the theater when the licorice I, I didn't know what it was i had no clue what the movie was um but the saving grace was that i wasn't paying attention because i was so upset by watching other trailers i was on my phone and in in a way that i've never in an obvious way that i've never been in a theater but that's how like i just needed to not pay attention in a way yeah. that i've i've never felt and so when i looked up i was like wait a second what is this trailer and i realized because then I, I looked at Snapchat and your message. Oh, shit. Is this the licorice pizza trailer? Just bolted out of the room. <laughs> so I, I. Did you see I was a there single like frame the, of Cooper Hoffman? I don't know. Like, I, I was there for a good minute okay. of the trailer. I heard the music, but oh. it, none of it, like, sank in. So I don't remember. I don't even remember that song. All, that's ever since it's uh, Life on Mars. David Bowie. One of his best. Um, uh, oh, uh, final final note kudos on the 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 actress that plays uh the reverend mother helena oh yeah uh i can do it i can remember i've read the book i need no, to prove my my worth gaius gaius helena mohim something like that the reverend mother she looks kind of like when she has the veil on looks like um Jamie Lee Curtis, not Jamie Lee Curtis, someone else, I think. She looks like someone else, but the actress was the quite girl good. From good, Game good cast. Who was in Last Night in Soho, who just died. I don't remember. I just want to read you this because I think it's funny. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson just did an interview with Variety. Um, a little poll quote from this the interview. Paul Thomas Anderson names some of his favorite recent movies. Shang-Chi was good fun. There's a terrific energy about it, but I live in a Marvel-obsessed household, so continuing the story of these Marvel stories is exciting to us. I liked Venom too. Titan is worth seeing. <laughs> I, I just, I, I find it funny the wording of that. He said, "I like Venom too. Titan is worth seeing." So in my head canon, I think he likes Venom too more than Titan. Uh, and honestly, Paul, same. He said in the interview something along the lines of, I don't know what to make of Titan, but I do know that it was made by a real filmmaker and that is something worth seeing. So there we oh. go. So uh, the Reverend Mother is played by Charlotte Rampling, but in the uh, okay. what's in the box scene, she remind she looks like uh, it looks like Helen Mirren underneath the veil. Yeah, it sounds like her a little bit, too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. but it did a really good job. Uh, that role, another good, good piece of casting. I wonder if it's, it's, Denis Villeneuve gets to keep that box. What's in the box? Imagine having that in your coffee table. Just keep I'd, a copy of Gooby in there. <laughs> Stick your hand in there. We'll find pain. <laughs> <laughs> last, last meme, last meme, because this is one of those memes that I saw immediately after the movie, and it made me laugh. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold I'm on. I'm holding. I'm holding. Uh, 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 can I? Is here? Can I make? I'll, I'll say something while you while you find that. So, 
two other interesting little uh, great design choices within the film. One is the the use of insect imagery when it comes to the uh, Har- Harkonnens. Um, you have the Baron's pet, obviously, but the the Harkonnen Which, troops look yeah. very bug like with their their helmets. Um, you also have the beetle. There's um, the ornithopters, which look dragonfly like. So there's a lot of like animal insect bug esque design work, which I thought was really uh, a nice little uh, visual motif. Uh, and I'm going to follow this up with th- this is the moment where I really realized because this is a popular tweet with about 40,000 likes. This is where I'm uh, the moment I realized out of the theater that, oh, my God, Dune is is catching on. Um, just a tweet that reads, hey, what's up? I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is me putting my dick in the box from Dune. That's great. <laughs> That's when I thought this movie has a chance. So the the other thing. Um, last little note is in the design of the of the world. Um, one of the really interesting things about doing the book is that Frank Herbert was not someone who uh, artificially stole from other cultures. Um, he did, but he put in the work and did a lot of research into um, the various uh, elements of other cultures that he was taking from and working with. And, uh, you know, in the book, he's taking from obviously a lot of uh, Arabic inspiration. Um, there's uh, Greek mythology in there. There's uh, Native American mythology. Um, so he's taking from a lot of different places, Eastern mysticism too, a lot of that. And I think the the movie does a good job of expanding on that, of adding its own like kind of eclectic culture, multiculturalism to the future in a way that I think like makes sense where like different design elements are kind of like molded in. And you have obviously on, on Castle Caladan, you have sort of like uh, Eastern Chinese, Japanese themes with the windows, the roundness, but it's also feels very kind of European in the castle as well. Um, so it's was in, like a nice little like cross-cultural thing. Um, and there's, there's other stuff like that. Uh, you have the, the Mesoamerican like pyramid structure of Arakine, uh, which is cool. Um, but you know, <laughs> I agree. Uh, pulling design from like real world things to like ground them, but also uh, like mix them up and use them in, in new uh, recontexts. Use them in new contexts. So in a way that like, I feel like the future would, the very far future would be things that are recognizable, but different and new. Um, and where's the name Duncan Idaho factor into all this? <laughs> Uh, what is the historical is, basis for dunk? I don't want to get into this whole conversation because this is a conversation because people I've, I've seen an article or two talking about how um, criticizing the movie for not being Islamic enough, uh, which I think is a silly, silly comment to make. Um, but well, I also what about the, I, the arguments of it being a, a pro-colonialist fable? I've well, that's that. just that's just a stupid comment. <laughs> I agree. Sorry, Arizona. I agree. What does Arizona think that? All right, I'm going to need a tweet about that immediately. Um, <laughs> I can't let that stand. Uh, but, you know, it would be like watching the first half of Citizen Kane and coming up with a theme of, oh, what's this movie about? Well, you only That's, watched the yeah, first no, half, I agree. You dumbass. 
So that's that's why because we immediately went to a restaurant afterwards and talked about the movie and he was bringing up that uh, whatever and I said just wait I won't say any more just just wait. Uh, for the most part, I think people have caught on to it that it's not typical. Uh, yeah, that it is obviously like the hero's journey of some sort, but it is it it has a different trajectory uh, than your typical thing. It's yeah. I don't know. Could keep talking about it forever, probably. Would you recommend Dune? I would I would wholeheartedly recommend Dune. It's such a great movie experience. I I so highly recommend watching in the theater. I'm gonna try and Same. entice Fourth my time. friend. Well, I'm gonna entice my friend who didn't like it uh, after watching it at home <laughs> with oh. tiny speakers. <laughs> See if I can entice him into a movie theater. Um, it's going to be so funny if he doesn't like it even more the second time. Because imagine going fine. to a movie that you know you're not going to like, but you're there for two and a half hours and you can't move. You that's can't that's move. fine. But at the very least, you've given it an honest effort. And that's no, you're right, you're right. He didn't finish it. Let me see if I can get so, my brother to see it. He, he, and I'd be OK if, uh, you know, he was like, oh, I, you know, it wasn't my thing. Great. That's not what he's saying, though. He's saying it's boring and I didn't like it after, you know. I told him well, another one of our friends told him it's a good movie. It's a good, it's a great movie. I love it so much. It's, um, Dune. Here's my question. And maybe you can't answer it now. Maybe you need more time, but, uh, how does this stack against Blade Runner 2049? I think Blade Runner 2049 is the better of the two. I think though, this is the more well-made of the two. If that makes sense. No, I agree. Because 2049 I, I has the, like... the stronger narrative and thematic. Like it has something yes. to say and it says it really effectively. This less so. Obviously, it's the first half. Yeah. But for, yeah, Blade Runner 2049, which I guess we'll get to because I don't know if you still want to do the, the double feature both when we inevitably re-record our Blade Runner episode. But I do feel like that movie, uh, every time I see it, I'm a little less wowed by the the spectacle. Especially when you have the original to, to base yourself off of, but the story hits every time. So I'm going to say now I, I, I think I actually prefer Dune just a little bit, just a tad, Come on. but it the, is the better story. I, okay. For like the 50th Mr. time, Pros. Dune's a great movie. The review is over. See it. Yeah. I, <coughs> please do. Please do. Please do see it.